table had been sort of split in half and one half of the table was talking about one thing and our half of the t- table had been talking about um, food and, you know, and um, I suppose in a sort of unconscious way talking about our relationships with food. And she sort of leant across to me and she said, um, do you have an eating disorder? And I was like, and I'd not ever really thought of it as an eating disorder at this point. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. She was like, how would you, how do you, you, how would you describe your relationship with food is the question she asked me. And I said, complicated. I always was a bit of a chubby kid and definitely had that, uh, that kind of label attached to me for a long time. I think one of the things about that, and it's again related to probably some later stuff, is my mum never saw it. I think my mum always believed it to be puppy fat or would uh, always address it as something related to um, being a child or whatever, no matter, even when, as, as, even as I got older into sort of my teenage years, um, it was that kind of she just loved giving me cakes just cakes and chocolate and she never said no when I wanted another one I'm not blaming her though I feel like that is very much sounds like I'm blaming her but I'm not because it's very much me who was the decision maker in all of that cake eating even now as I sort of look at my eating habits I can see that I you know I exist in this kind of um compulsive eating where if I want if I really want something I end up eating it and I that unchecked as a child it's bad bad news bad news for poor young James bless him yeah so um I have lived in Manchester before I live in uh, Amsterdam now but I was living in Manchester for six and a half years before I moved here but I've been in Amsterdam for three years now and it's home um I got out of the UK because of Brexit and because of turning 30. Um, I had anxiety about both. For some reason, they kind of, uh, it was 2016 and they sort of merged together in that tumultuous year. And they were kind of like, um, I, I was depressed as well at the time. So they kind of combined to... Uh, I, create a sense of um I don't know misplaced not misplaced anxiety but real kind of a sense of anxiety about where I was in my life and where I was in the world um and these two things fared into a kind of sort of luckily not a deep depression but they fed into a kind of um resentment for what I'd achieved and who I was and and that just meant that the only thing I could think of aside from you know I probably should have gone and got therapy but what I did instead was press the reset button get out of the UK get out of the job get out of the relationship I was in and start all again and see if that reset you know makes life easier to to be you know makes it easier to be me, makes my life easier to, you know, tolerate. Um, 
not even the sense that it would make me happier because at the time whenever you've been in a kind of depressive state it's you don't imagine being happy you just imagine not being down so you kind of I was like if I press you know press the reset kickstart myself back into a new gear and you know it worked as well like moving here definitely I mean probably more because it was a shift of focus and you know I had new challenges to overcome and I had a new world to play around in and new friends to make and you know it's it is like being the first day of high school again except well no actually I was going to say it's like the first day of high school except without the fear of bullies and uh but not so much the fear of bullies but the fear of not fitting in definitely followed me from the UK because I had a great set of friends in Manchester um who you know were like a little community and I leaving that behind was really tough having anxiety and body dysmorphia tied together um is that your environment plays such a huge part of you know the makeup of having this so um for instance being single now in a new city and the environment of that uh, is kind of the defining it, it starts to begin to define who you think you are of yourself um, because the interactions you have with other people whether or not they actually have any direct um, relation to like your sense of self you begin to project your own, you know, your own concerns or your own self-image onto the people that you meet. So then certain things that they do, you uh, you begin to obsess over. Like, oh, they didn't want to invite me to a thing. Why not? Is it because I'm this thing to them? And that's it's a pure projection of your own demons onto other people. But then it unfortunately means that you either push people away because you're, you know, frightened of that they're going to push you away. So you, you know, preempt it. Or the other thing is that, you know, you create a whole self-fulfilling prophecy and you begin to have the doubts about yourself that you then sow the seeds of in other people's minds and it's very it's it's very difficult to get out of that mentality and body dysmorphia and OCD as well actually is and because I've never sought therapy for it is relying on my friends relying on friends to become surrogate therapists which is not healthy but Luckily for me, I've had friends who have been willing to do it, whether directly or indirectly or knowingly or unknowingly. I was in a pub and uh, we'd been talking as a group for a little while and the half, well, like most of the table disappeared off outside to have a cigarette and uh, it was just me and uh, one other person and she uh lent across to me and we'd been talking about a bunch of different things but the table had been sort of 
split in half and one half of the table is talking about one thing and our half of the table have been talking about um, food and, you know, and um, I suppose in a sort of unconscious way talking about our relationships with food. And she sort of leant across to me and she said, "Um, do you have an eating disorder? And I was like, and I'd not ever really thought of it as an eating disorder at this point. Um, And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. She was like, how would you, how do you, you, how would you describe your relationship with food is the question she asked me. And I said, complicated. And then she was like, yeah. And then she was, and then she delved a little deeper. And so she had been bulimic and we were talking about it um, for a while. Um, And even afterwards as well, like we talked about it more. And um, she, she said to me, um, it sounds like you uh, are an overeater and it also sounds like you were anorexic at some point. Um, and she's like, I'm not, I'm not diagnosing you. I'm not a doctor or a health uh, professional, but this is what it sounds like. And in a some way, like in some subconscious way, I was like, in my head, I was agreeing with her because I'd always sort of felt like, yeah, this is something I had. And then once I'd had this conversation, I must've been about 24. I just went and did loads of research and, um, you know, started looking up, um, yeah, uh, eating disorders, anorexia, um, body dysmorphia. And when, as soon as I read about body dysmorphia, I was like, oh yeah, that's what I got. Hating parts. So hating parts of body dysmorphia is where you focus in on certain parts of your body. Um, it can be different things uh, and it's different for everyone, but focus in at certain parts of your body and find you obsess over them and find them to be either you don't like them, you find them repulsive about yourself, it'll be something that you wish you could change and you either fantasize about the ways you could change it or you manifest those changes either through, some people go through surgery, some people will go through something like bulimia or anorexia in order to change it. Um, Some people become addicted to um, physical fitness, so on and so forth, calorie counting, whatever. But it's all about uh, an obsessing about a certain aspect of your body. Also, the other thing is, and you do come across as really vain. And it's actually one of the, I think I read about that, one of the reasons why people don't uh, get therapy or help because of, for for body dysmorphia is because they think they're vain because it is you're taught by society that obsessing over a part of your body is vanity we're looking in the mirror all the time like look in the mirror constantly but it's not because i'm like hey i look good today it's i look in the mirror and go yep definitely getting a little weight on my neck do you know like it's well my neck's not actually one of my things uh my things are um my chest and um my nose god yeah yeah my nose is this this kind of um if i'm really honest it all goes back to jokes from primary school and high school about having big nostrils and having a big nose and if they felt they feel and now that it feels like they're very 
insignificant jokes to be made by kids and I was cruel to kids and kids were cruel and blah 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 uh, and it's jokey and things but my it's, I think probably because of the kind of brain that I have and the kind of you know personality traits I have and so on and so forth and having anxiety as an underlying factor means that um, yeah I like obsessed over that and I used to want to have surgery on my nose. I used to imagine having surgery all the time. Once I had achieved this goal that I had set out, as soon as I, as soon as I like reached this, um, I suppose that you could say it was a tipping point. I sort of hit a weight level where I could no longer ignore. And don't get me wrong, I had never really ignored it, but I, I hit a weight level where I was really, really unhappy really dissatisfied with who I was when I looked in the mirror but there would be lots of things like I I remember I used to and this is what I was going to come back to when I was that big when I was really really big um I I used to have fantasies about getting sick I used to really want to get like pneumonia or um some Pneumonia was one I used to focus on a lot, actually. That was because a friend of mine had gone to prison at 16 and got pneumonia in prison and came out much thinner. And I, for some reason, saw pneumonia as being some... Oh, well, you don't die from it. Um, given the current climate, that feels a bit wrong to say. But I, at the time, I felt, well, you don't die from it, but it will put you in hospital and you'll lose weight. And it, it required no effort it required no fear of failure as well like it wasn't like I could try and fail it it was just like a yeah my body would achieve it all on its own by not being able to eat um or and I used to think about like wanting surgery and stuff all the classic things of like things I couldn't afford things I was never going to be able to get things I would never even have dreamed to tell my parents like I, I think probably a recurring theme for anyone who's British who comes on this podcast and talks about themselves will be that they are very limited in the people that and the ways they can talk to parents and loved ones about mental health it's just not something and it's not their fault it's just not something that people grow up with in the UK even now like even now in 2020 we are just not equipped with the education and understanding to really talk about it we can talk about it from our own personal and I think lots of people actually um once you do get talking about it of understanding and empathetic and will share their worldview uh, share their personal views and share their experiences and and, that, and then we'll, loads of times you hear people go, oh, I, no, I, I totally understand. I've experienced that too. I've just never said it or, or thought that anyone else experienced it. Um, and so coming back to the, um, the weight thing. So I used to have these, you know, really in-depth fan fantasies about how I would lose the weight and stuff and what I would do to, um, to be thin. To be not so much thin, but th this body ideal that I had conjured in my mind as to have that I needed to achieve. And when I went to university, so heading towards the end of 18, towards 19, um, that first year of university, I just was determined that 
I was not going to be labeled as the fat kid anymore and that I was going to be uh I was I was the master of my own destiny and I was going to be able to control this without needing to get sick or without needing surgery that I could do it myself and you know I did like through sport and um my diet at first didn't change particularly well over time I I think sport and education like self-education around you know what calories are and how you lose weight and you know maintenance calories and like calorie deficit and control and all of these things and how muscle groups and releasing of testosterone and um working like different aspects of the body anaerobic fitness aerobic fitness uh you know all of these things that um just learning about it uh, over the course of you know the first term of university and then in the second term of first year of university the thing about university is just you have so much time and the resources to you know you have a library you have a laptop you have a gym that costs like nothing like I would love to pay as little as I did for the gym back then you know and um you and you have sports clubs and you know there's so many societies and stuff like you it's funny, I, I remember speaking to someone after university, you know, like, I put loads of weight on in university because there's loads of drinking and loads of, um, like, fast food and poor diets and cooking for yourself for the first time. Or I was the opposite. I um, I just benefited from all the free time and cheap resources. And, and also being a cheapskate and being, a like, a terrible cook when I was that age... I, my diet was limited to what I could feasibly cook myself, which luckily meant uh, lots of beans on toast, which is not that bad for you. Like, you know, luckily, all right, I used to probably cover it in cheese or whatever, but I learned slowly over time that, you know, about like, and for me, saturated fats became a really... This is actually a kind of important point. Saturated fats were a thing I really focused on because it was something I'd learned about that were particularly bad for, um, like, weight gain. There's loads of science now that says saturated fats are not the thing that is particularly bad for weight gain, and sugar is the new enemy, but anyway. And what's crazy is I used to eat so much sugar. I used to eat so many bowls of cereal. Like, that was a... And then I learned that sugar was bad. And then I, com- this was the thing I would go through cycles of, I would, uh, well, actually this is a related to um, like anorexia. I'm not even sure if I could really even claim to have had anorexia, but at, at one point I was calorie counting to such a severe level that I was like only allowing myself like 500 calories a day. And because I'd learned about this calorie deficit thing and, and about maintenance calories, I felt like, okay, well, I'm going to cheat the system and I'll just give myself almost no calories at all. And I'll sort of starve myself, which obviously is kind of late. But, but the thing was, you go into a, that's your purge cycle. And then you have this binge period because you're rewarding yourself for that, you know, those three or four days where you ate almost nothing and you'd have like five to 800 calories and then um, I would reward myself and gorge down on three or four thousand calories in a day or two, you know, and and my brain 
would then go, you just ate 4,000 calories. You now have to have four days of eating 500 calories. And that's the kind of, I suppose that is what a sort of binge and purge cycle is, is constantly dipping in and out of one thing. But um, but this would fluctuate with what I learned. So I would learn about some new aspect of, I never was one for diets, like I never did keto or whatever. I was more of a, um, I was just more about, I'd learn about some new thing and that would be the thing I would focus on. And then I would learn about something else and that would be the new obsession of mine. But luckily as well, um, yeah, university, you meet lots of people. So I would meet lots of people and they would also have done their own education and they would be able to share ideas and things with me. And anyway, slowly over the course of, long story short, so over the course of university, I lost uh, lots of weight and toned up my body and became a lot fitter and a lot healthier. Um, and my diet changed. I cut cheese out. That was one of the things. So that obsession about um, saturated fat, I made cheese the enemy. Really weird. Like I had this, uh, yeah, I made it to the point where like I just wouldn't touch anything with cheese. Almost like I was lactose intolerant, but I wasn't. In fact, it actually kind of made me a bit lactose intolerant because then if I ate too much cheese, it would make me sick because I'd become so, I spent so many years avoiding cheese. Anyway, weird. I love cheese, right? It's delicious. I don't eat it anymore because I'm a vegan, but like, um, but it, it, you know, it was, it wasn't a distaste for cheese. It was because I've loved it so much. Um, and that kind of, I think that actually epitomizes the struggle of having body dysmorphia or having an eating disorder is that, um, I love cheese. So that's why it had to go. And you know, I had to push away the thing that I most wanted because I, by, have, by wanting it so much, I was, it wasn't helping me adhere to a, a body type that I believed in, even though I was eating things that were just as bad for me. Drinking loads of booze, like I could have given up booze and eaten as much cheese as I wanted, but that's not how my brain works and that's not how you see it. Well, all of this kind of, has led to who I am today um you know I'm a 32 going on 33 year old man and uh I have been the same weight now since I was 21 with little bits of fluctuation but um so I'm actually you know I've been uh like thin in inverted commas um for the you know the same length of time as I was a fat teenager or a chubby kid you know like well not quite the same length of time but you you know um but it it unfortunately it's a shadow that lingers over me however and i think this is the the real positive of you know going through this is that while yeah it definitely has left some pretty deep scars and i have a constant sense of anxiety about it even even now even though i'm much better educated about myself, about the condition, um, about how it manifests. Um, I, yeah, I still struggle with it. It's still a challenge, but it's a challenge that you get so much better at dealing with. And, but the other thing is, uh, it has definitely been a boost for me. I, getting fit meant that I could play more sport and I love sport and I love team competition and interaction with teams. And it meant that it actually opened up 
some really interesting pathways. You know, I played, um, um, you know, rugby at university and I was in the rugby team and uh, I got to play uh, in something called Roses, which is like the varsity for the university I went to, um, which was a really proud moment for me. Um, and I, you know, I've played, I play football and I play rugby and I've played, you know, at a level that, you know, me at 15 or me at eight, me at 18, never thought I would be playing at, you know, like, uh, and that, that's really, you know, being able to look back at that and being able to remember, uh, you know, what 18 year old me was thinking about 30 year old me is I get to reflect on the kind of positive changes that have happened as a result of trying to overcome a challenge that, you know, is self-created. Um, but because it's self-created, you are, the, all the rewards are your own. You know, every time I, yeah, every time I struggle with it, all of the downsides are my own. There's no one, no one can tell me, uh, oh, but, but you don't, you look great. You look fine. That doesn't matter. I believe no one else's opinion. No one, like I'm, the. it's very strange actually. I'm constantly seeking um, validation because of having body issues and anxiety, yet never accept the validation that I get, which is why I'm always seeking it. Because no one... I don't feel like I can trust anyone to give me a, an honest opinion about my body because only I see my body for the way it is. And that's the thing about body dysmorphia. I suppose this is the thing that I forgot to say before, which is um, the thing about body dysmorphia is that you think their view their view of you is um, clouded, perhaps, and you are the only one with the clarity to see it for what it truly is. Whereas reality is you're the one who sees it clouded and everyone else can see it for what it truly is. Uh, and that fog of self-doubt or self-loathing or whatever it is, is the thing that creates body dysmorphia is that kind of, um, like, no matter how many people say, but you look, you look great, you look thin, you're not fat. I'm like, you just haven't seen the real me. I, I know, I've seen it. It's there. Like I'm always I used to say things like there's always the fat guy inside is just waiting to burst out at any time. Like, you know, eat one too many cakes or biscuits and out he comes like the Michelin man. And um but that's also but that's you know, but he has the he hasn't come out. And he's you know, and I think the longer I go you know, and the more I understand and the healthier I become and the more accepting of myself I am, the deeper and deeper I push that anxiety and to the point where, you know, the the Michelin man is some tiny, tiny speck in the bottom of a deep, dark pool of uh, many other anxieties. No, um, but he's not bubbling at the surface anymore or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's the thing. It's, it is something that you can, I, I don't think it's necessarily something I want to say you can overcome because overcome implies that it stops being, uh, yeah, something that, uh, follows you, but, uh, it's something that you can learn to deal with and it, 
you know, and it, to the point where you can, you get small victories all the time, you know, and, and there will come days as well where I'll, I will look in the mirror and I'll go, okay, today I do not hate myself. Um, and those days increase in number drastically all the time. And don't get me wrong, I am so like like I I can I this I should have been at the top, but everything I'm talking about is mild in comparison to what people go through. And I, you know, learning about these things for myself. And I'm in no way an expert at all. You'd think having experienced it for years, you would become an expert, but you just don't because there's a fear of learning about it because you don't want to learn. It's sometimes it's difficult to learn things about yourself, like your true self. Doing something like this, talking about it, I realize I'm, I'm one of those people who, sure, would I, would I have preferred not to have weight issues and body dysmorphia and anxiety growing up and going through my 20s? Probably. But could I imagine me now without having any of those things to get here? No. I have a friend at work and he's uh, a blind computer programmer. Really inspiring guy. Um, And I actually interviewed him on a podcast and he... um, I asked him if he could have sight, would he want it? If I could inject him with a serum and he would just get his sight back magically. And his response was amazing. He was like, if you could give me sight back, I would have to think about it because I exist in this world in my own way. You know, I've learned to experience the world in as a blind person or a person without sight. And suddenly to have sight doesn't make my world any better it just changes it you know he's made his world what it is for himself and he enjoys it as a person without sight that's the that was really profound i i I was like as a sighted person i'm like but surely you would want to have sight and but that's only my experience of the world just as for someone who has never hated their body would be like but surely you would you don't want to hate your body and it's like well no but the the things that go alongside it the self-reflection and the learning about your condition and uh, motivating and all of those things that come out they're all sort of tied in with it as well sure probably a bit of therapy along the way would have helped but yeah I think, uh, yeah, I am what I've made of myself and it could have been easier, but it could have been a lot harder. So, yeah. My Mind and I is produced in Amsterdam by me, Liam Moore. The theme song is Waves by Pictures of the Floating World. You can follow along on Instagram at mymindandi underscore podcast. Or if you'd like to get in touch or be featured on an episode, you can email mymindandiemail at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.